This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Today we're going to be talking about stormy souls. Stormy souls are the kind of souls that have big waves in their souls. Like they're very wavy souls. And the these stormy souls, you know, if you look at if you look at like a heart chart, you know, like a, you know, a heart readout kind of looks like that. But there are certain people whose their their life looks like that. You know, they they just got kind of big waves. This is like Prozac here. Okay? That's like that's like the medium. Yeah, and and then there's your, these are called actually if you want to know the real scientific name it's, they're called amplitudes. Amplitudes. Amplitudes are how high the wave goes. That was not a joke. Ha, amplitudes are. <laughs> amplitudes are how high the wave goes versus how low the wave goes. Okay, that's the amplitude between meaning how the height of the crest to the trough is an amplitude. So some people have like really stormy souls. And here's the crazy thing. You ready for this? This is like, I'm just going to go straight to the punchline of the whole class and we'll see how it develops. It's amazing how white noise just like, you don't even notice it, but it's like, it's freaking you out. And then of course you lose your temper and like throw your drink across the room, angry at your wife for having, for having like put a little too much grenadine or something in there. And, and meanwhile, it was just that there was white noise that you were contending with. Now, they're very stormy souls. Here's the punchline. People make the horrible mistake, horrible mistake. Listen carefully. Stormy souled people make the horrible mistake of trying to find the most stable person they can find to guide them, to join their communities. or like They try to go to like the boringest place in the world. They try to go to like... Passaic, New Jersey, or, or, or they try to go to like they try to go to um, what? What are some of those other New Jersey places? Teaneck. Oh, they try. Maybe if I move to Baltimore, that would help. Or, or what if I move to um, what if we what if we move to Lakewood? Or um, I mean, they're all in New Jersey, you know. And then and then of course there's uh, there's uh, what is that one in Chicago? Not Chicago. Um, is this other place? Whatever. It seems they always have a lit fish community anywhere near these places. You know, like there's always they always put some lit fish community. Lit fish communities love boredom. They love boredom. They thrive off boredom. You know, you put a husset in a boring community. You know, it's just they're gonna make trouble there. You know, you already see what's going on with Lakewood. You know, these days you only hear about Tom's River and how much booze was at the Kiddish. You know, it's like you sure you're talking about Lakewood? And they're like, it ain't Lakewood anymore, baby. (laughs) It's Tom's River. (laughs) I don't know who the hell Tom is, man, but that boy can drink. So anyway. They're introducing edibles at the Kiddush. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this ain't a litvish community. You know? So, anyway, the anyway, so these stormy souls, these stormy souls, what they try to do is go to stable people, 
Maybe if I join a stable community. Hey, maybe I'll get a mashpia who's very stable. <laughs> so the answer is, is that those people don't know what the hell to do with you. Okay? So what do they do? They just say, well, they came to me for my stability, so maybe I should just, like, maybe I should just, like, put a lot of stability into them. And, like, maybe we'll just, like, we'll turn everything into vanilla. And then, you know, maybe then they'll, they'll be fine. And this class I could never teach if it wasn't for spending the last 27 years receiving people here and letting people go. Like 20 years ago, I, someone, one of these stormy souls would say, yeah, I've got a new rabbi. And I'm like, who's your rabbi? And they name Rabbi Vanilla. And, and I would just be like, I'd just be like, I'd just be like, 20 years ago, I was just like, great. You know, like the one less person I will be worrying about, you know, because it's been quite a worry. Because this person is an extremely stormy soul. You know, the, the, the graph I did here doesn't touch this guy. This guy's, like, the frame doesn't touch him. I need like the whole wall and a can of spray paint to deal with this guy. You know, and so if he went to, you know, Rabbi Vanilla, then great. But here's the thing that's really scary. Here's the thing that's really scary. It's now 20 years later. I'm guiding people for all 27 years. The crash and burns, which have a lot of kids involved and, and property and, you know, real Kramer versus Kramer bloodshed, like insane, insane stuff that I've had to see over the last 20 years. God should protect me for not fighting for them, but, like, I'm going to fight for someone to be my student. You know, like, that's not going to happen. But maybe I could have said something. I didn't know then. But if you're a stormy soul, the only person who's ever going to be able to help you is someone who understands the storm. Not someone who's going to turn your life into stability. God knows what he's doing when he creates souls. God knows what he's doing with these neshumas. And, and I'd, even, I'd even say that, that there's so many more of these neshamas out there that don't even know they're these neshamas, meaning they're just like suffering. Why? Because think about it. If you have, let's say you're Mr. Stability. You know, it's like Mr. and Mrs. Stability living in Lakewood. And they had, <laughs> and they had, I don't know how many kids they had. They had Let's say they had a moderate family with 10 kids. A moderate-sized family, 10 kids. How are you going to make sure that all 10 kids don't have one of these, you know, Hurricane Alley souls? You know, how are you going to... Can you guess these things? Like, how are you supposed to do that? And if you raise a kid like that, if you raise a kid like that, in that kind of structured environment where everything is, like, buttoned up like that, you're going to have one kid who's going crazy, like going out of his mind or her mind and just like acting out in weird ways and probably getting depressed, probably getting depressed. You know, no way to track that. You, how do you harness those kind of wave patterns in such a situation? And, and so it just winds up being roadkill. You know, that's just roadkill. And here you got this holy neshama because guess what? I got something to tell you about stormy neshamas. And you know what it is? that the, the amplitudes of someone's personality, like how high and low they go, 
That person comes from the genes of anyone who was a tzaddik in the family gene pool in the last four generations. It bleeds through the gene pool. Anyone who's a tzaddik in the last four generations of a family who... I'm sorry, his genes now go into the family gene pool and those genes can collect and land on one kid. And now this kid's got the soul of the tzaddik. Meaning this kid's got that storm system going on because you know tzaddikim are stormy people. Tzaddikim are very stormy people. You go to Man- you go to Mansukis. I mean, you need, like, kite string just to hold him down. You go to Montishabov, you need a spatula just to peel him off the ground. They are riding the wave of the Jewish calendar. They don't have random swings. They're not randomly. It's like they're on Shabbos, they're, like, super high. Mozi Shabbos, they're, like, crashing through the worlds. They do not re-enter well, souls like this. They don't re-enter after Shabbos well. You probably know what I'm talking about, a bunch of you in this room. And you don't re-enter well Mozi Shabbos. By the way, this is my first Mozi Shabbos that I re-entered well. I don't know if it was, I was still glowing from Purim, but I actually re-entered. Normally in Mozi Shabbos, just keep your hands and feet away from my mouth. Because I'm like... <laughs> you don't want to be anywhere near me, Mozi Shabbos. Like, and the best thing in the world is if I get a Malava Malka, I get hired for a Malava Malka concert, just to keep me distracted. Mozi Shabbos. And sometimes they're like, so what do you take for a concert? I'm like, well, so I take 500 bucks. I'm like, well, that's a little above our, our uh, amount we can take, give you. you know? like, uh, would you take 250 And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> they're like, that was easy. Would you take 100 I'm like, would you pay us $100 to play a Malav Malka concert? I'm like, I'd probably pay you 500 <laughs> We're already like, I'm getting a negative 500 for that concert. So, anyway, I'll do anything to be distracted on a Saturday night, you know, just to stay out of my own head in those situations. So these come down the generations. These neshamas come down the generations, and they can be born at a theater near you, man. They can come out of your own loins, and now you got one of these kids. And you may not be prepared for such a kid, but I'll tell you one thing for sure is that that kid's going to need someone who knows how to deal with him so he can raise him up. These, these kids need a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of Torah, but they're the hardest ones to get to sit. But only with Torah do they stabilize these souls. If you don't stabilize them with a lot of Torah, they don't, they don't do so hot. They need a lot of Torah. I could explain why, but I don't think I'm going to right now. But they need a lot of it. You want to hear the freakiest thing? Again, we don't get people like this anymore. But back when people used to, secular people used to come to our classes, the, we used to once in a while get one of these stormy souls. You know, his name was like, you know, whatever, Joshua Abrams or something. Doesn't know olive, does not know olive base. Would not eat kosher if his life depended on it. And I meet the kid. He, I mean, he's at Asia Tour. People are telling me, you know, there's a guy you should probably meet. I come into the lobby. He's talking to one of our rabbis. And I walk up to him. I just walk up in from behind the rabbi. I said, uh, you know, are you Yeshua Abrams? And he's like, yeah. And he says, I said, sorry to interrupt, but a couple of people told me that you might want to meet me. And he looks up at me and he 
just bursts out sobbing, jumps in my arms, and I just hold him there crying for like a half hour in the lobby. He's crying and crying and crying and crying. He doesn't even know what's going on with it. He doesn't even know. He's on a trip to Israel. He's not, this wasn't meant to happen, but it was meant to happen. And then, and then I shepherded the guy for the next years and years and years and years, you know, to be there for him. And the, the, um, oh, but here's the thing, is that these guys have no Torah. So they got this neshama without the Torah. And so it's like, and it, it doesn't care what day it is. A tzaddik's connected to Torah. So he's writing the lunar calendar and the Shabbases that are, you know, our holy calendar. They're, they're riding the waves of, the, of Jewish spirituality. But a guy who doesn't know that stuff, he's not on that system. So his wives are going randomly, meaning it could be Shabbos night and he's in the deepest low. You know, he's saying to himself, one more guy says to me, good Shabbos, I'm going to punch him in the jaw. <laughs> you know, he comes into some meal and everyone's like, Yom Anyway, yeah, the guy's like, he's, he's just gonna flip the Shabbos table and run out. Like, anyone in here ever flipped a Shabbos? Raise your hand if you ever flipped a Shabbos table. One guy flipped a Shabbos table. You're a man. <laughs> You're a man. That guy flipped a Shabbos table. Yeah. Seriously, I got. I lo- much respect. Much respect. Hey, he 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 is a direct descendant of Avram Avinu. His father woke up one day, comes down to his little workshop, and finds everything's been flipped. Everything's just been destroyed. And, and, and he's got a cold chicane to flip his Shabbos tail. Because Aravino, he was making idols. Of course you break those idols. But what if someone's made Judaism into an idolatry? What if someone's turned their, their whole Jewish life's a crock? And you're one of these stormy souls. You're one of these stormy souls who, who's like, you know, just sees through it all but has nowhere to turn. And so everyone, may, and they, oh, by the way, they're really good at making you the, the, like, bad guy. You're not the spiritual, like, we're all, we're into Yiddishkeit, man. Like, you're, you're not, you're not shy to, like, all this holiness and Kedusha and everything. Like, you're, there's something wrong with you. This is what they tell the Rebbe. The one kid who was born to be a Rebbe, is, that's, what, that's the kind of treatment they get, you know, in one of these stable homes. <laughs> and you want to know something they're really rebels because I've met a lot of these guys over the years some really interesting characters who you know let me know while we're doing whatever we're doing and they let me know like later that night they're like by the way I was raised Hasidish you know and I'm like what you know we're driving around in some like $180,000 BMW and he's just like you know, like, like the CEO of some insane startup, you know, and like, we, he's just driving me back from like having jacuzzi in the most cool jacuzzi from like 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. And, like, and I got to get ready for the next day. So, we, and he's like, by the way, I was raised Hasidic, you know, and, but he was put in a system that didn't allow for his soul. 
and and the, the setup just he was a table flipper and so now of course why was he with me all night that night he was with me all that night that night because he's finally realizing that like he doesn't have the the hard drive I mean, his hard he has a hard drive sorry he doesn't have the the software for the hard drive you understand he's missing context he's a stormy soul without the context of Torah our stability you want to stabilize someone with a stormy soul fill them with Torah fill them with Torah don't fill them with stability fill them with Torah let Torah be their guide and there ain't nothing stable about Torah <laughs> I don't have to tell you guys that after Purim oh my gosh like, there is nothing stable about Torah. You know, Torah is not stable. It's amazing how communities have tried to turn it into a thing of stability because there's just nothing stable about Torah. And, and the more Torah you study, I meaning it's very stabilizing, but it ain't stable. It ain't stable. It's not stable for, for work because you got like holidays everywhere. It's not stable for, you got to choose certain professions even to like be able to celebrate as a Jew. They're, they're, it, it's just not stable. Our holiest day of the year, everyone's running around like madmen. The whole, the whole, this whole city went went temporarily insane for twenty four hours on its holiest day of the year. Which, by the way, shows you how stable Judaism is. Because think about it. I, I'm going to tell you a deep Torah right now. Think about it. If you were in, no offense, if you're watching this live and you were in a place that didn't party the way we party here in Jerusalem but if you can't laugh at your Yiddishkeit one day a year on the day the holiest day of the year we're, we're going to laugh at everything and make spoofs and yeshivas put on plays and make crazy spoofs that are you know crazy making fun of things and and you know if you can't throw Judaism upside down one day a year that means listen to this that means that you don't even you don't know what you're doing. You've turned Judaism into a religion, and now it's all about formality and conduct and stuff. And so you can't even you can't even once you can't celebrate Purim anymore. If you can't be the guy under the table at your own Purim party, <laughs> once you can't celebrate Purim anymore, you have lost the plot. Because a healthy person is someone who knows how to laugh at himself. That's a healthy person. And a healthy Jew is a person who can just let it all go one day a year and just laugh at it all and just make everything into the, just the craziest, you know, bedikasa, bedikasa like a holy joke, and turn it all on its head one day. If you can't do that anymore, that means you're no longer part of things. Like, you're out. You're out. I'll, and I'll finish that with just a quick story. I was down at the hotel praying Friday night, and I had a bunch of Asian guys running around, like, you know, doing outreach and stuff. They finally find a guy. You know, everyone these days is from, so they finally find a guy. <laughs> they finally find a guy who wasn't from, you know, he's wearing one of those, you know, one of those temporary keepers, you know, that you get in the box. So my students are so excited. They find this guy. They bring him over to me. They're like, Rabbi Yom Tov. <laughs> You know, and I'm just like, yeah, and, and they're like, we, we brought you this guy, you know, talk to him, and they're all around him, you know, and he doesn't know what's going on, so I say to him, I say to the, my students, I say, you brought me a Mormon, and my students are like, what? And the guy's like, how'd you know I was a Mormon? And I said, I could see you never had a drop of alcohol your whole life. He says, that's not a good thing? And I'm like, 
I don't trust people who don't drink alcohol. <laughs> and he says, why not? It's because you don't know how to laugh at yourself. So I'm on a date with my wife in Sfat, and this tall, blonde, like, Hasidic man, who's clearly was not born or raised Jewish, neither had any Jewish parents, but a Hasidic man with, like, long, blonde pais, and he walks up to my wife and interrupts us, and he says, I want you to know that you saved my life. And I was like, I've never seen you before in my life. Like, I saved your life. He said, yeah. He said he was raised a Christian American, and he got destitute and, like, burned all his bridges. And, like, I mean, his family didn't trust him. He must have been, it must have been drug-related, and, like, he would already stolen from family members. Like, he burned every bridge he had of trust. And you should know trust is the key to everything. Once you burn trust bridges, it's very hard to come back. And that's why a lot of these places where kids at risk come, like the whole point there is to develop trust and trust and trust until they can get their trust back. And this is also very important for parents is never let your kids know you know they did something wrong. Never let your kids know that. Keep it as good a secret as you can. And I feel so bad for kids who's, who's, um, kids who's, who are, have bad machanchim or bad... Uh, uh, administrators of the schools, which they're called Minha Hell, the guy from Hell, yeah, <laughs> or Minha Hellis, yeah. So, anyway, when anyone who's some of these hellish people, they like to call the parents and say, "Oh, your kid's busted, man. Come on in. We got your kid in the office here, and and everything." You know, in Yerushalayim, the Minha Hell ones called me about something my kid did, and he calls me, and I'm like, "Okay, great. What'd you do to him?" He says. He doesn't know I know this. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, we're not going to let him know we know he did this. And don't you let him know. Keep him at Sadiq in everyone's eyes. You, you want to always be at Sadiq in everyone's eyes. You want your kids to be at Sadiq in everyone's eyes, even if they're living a double life. Yeah, until it's time to finally get real with them, let them at least hold one side that's good in the eyes of others. It's really, really, really important. To, to have that, that sadik in the eyes of people. You know, I, uh, over the years, uh, before all you FFBs came to the outreach community, um, back when there used to be Bali Chuva coming around, so in those days, meaning this whole room would be like stuffed with people who didn't know Alephet, but yet they're like, they're already Nemanim in Kashras because they're like, they're, they're just, they got it. Like, they got it. They don't know what to do yet. They don't know which arm to put their tefillin on, but they got it, and they're in. And they really are in. You can meet them today, like, 20, 30 years later, and they're, like, totally from and, like, marrying off kids and, like, you know, amazing people. So, so I used to, once in a while, tell some of my students back then, I used to say, um, do you know why you're from today? And he's like... Well, not really. <laughs> and I said, meaning people were close to me. And I said, the reason you're from today is because I always treated you as if you were. Because I know what you were up to for about a half a year when you got to Asia Tour. I know everything you were up to. I told him just for fun, meaning now he's, it's like 10 years later. And he's like, what do you know? And I tell him, he's got a gambling ring. And he, he was smoking on Chavez. And that he was thising and he was that. He was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And, he, and I said, I'm just going to treat you like you're the holiest man I ever met. And you stayed long enough that it, it, 
you just start getting traction. You start getting traction with that. And after a while, you just kind of started shedding these things, these other behaviors. It just I happened to be in touch with some of where he was from, so I knew everything he was up to. And he just started shedding all his stuff until he just shed it completely. But we love ourselves when we're holy. We love ourselves. That day after Yom Kippur, we love that. So treat people that way. Treat people that way and be with them a lot. And out, out, be with them. Be with them a lot. People who are needing your help, be with them a lot such that you're outdoing the people who are not so good for them until they just start to love that side of them so much that they shed the side that brings the negative feelings. Because whenever we're not good, it always comes. It comes with a price. And the price is negative emotion. Whenever you're not good, you always get negative emotion. Anyway, so this, this blonde Hasidic man whose life I saved, who I'd never seen before, is interrupting my wife and I on our date, thanked me for saving his life. And I said, why? He says, well, he burned all his bridges, and he finally decided he's going to kill himself. So he first went to the priest to let the... He wanted to ask the priest, what do you do to, you know, how do you go about killing yourself, you know? So the priest explained to him, you know, you got to settle your affairs and stuff, and you got to get everything done, you know, and, uh, you know, you just can't leave everything open-ended. And, and he says, and anyway, don't kill yourself till you go to Israel and visit Bethlehem. And maybe you can, maybe you'll have some kind of religious, mystical moment, and you won't kill yourself. He's like, fine, I'll give it one last chance, you know. So he put it on the credit card and flew to Israel. Now, what do you think anything happened in Bethlehem? <laughs> and the only thing that ever happened in Bethlehem is like cars got stoned by Muslims or something. I, don't, I mean, there were some incredible things that have happened at Kever Rachel in Bethlehem. But other than that, not much goes on in Bethlehem. So, and it, Bethlehem was a total n- n- non event. And so he comes back to Jerusalem, which is the way back to Tel Aviv to go kill himself. Comes back to Jerusalem. And and while he's in Jerusalem, he somehow, I don't know how he did it, but I don't know if he like came up from the wall through the Jewish quarter, maybe needed a shawarma, I don't know what happened. But he wound up in this room. Total Gentile. No Jewish connection at all. Winds up in this room. Now, I'm teaching the class, and I noticed the guy, but I wasn't paying that much attention. It was a room full of people. And, but what I did pay attention to was the second I finished the class, I remembered that I'm holding 14,000 shekels cash that I've got to give my bank or they're going to close my account. Because you can go into minus in Israel. You can go pretty deep, but you can hit a point where your bank manager will actually phone you personally and tell you, like, you either put cash in there or close your account. Once your account's closed, like, it's really hard to do anything in this country. You don't want them closing your account. So that's when you got to like pull out all the stops. So I pulled out all the stops, got the 14,000 shekels cash, which is a whole other amazing story of how that happened. Because once you radiate something powerfully enough, it just comes to you. And there was no way 14,000 shekels cash was coming to me in any like natural way. Um, just move those jackets for those, take that stuff off. There was no, there was no natural way 14,000 shekels cash was coming. But I just watched the video, The Secret. Anyone seen the video, The Secret, or the book, The Secret? It's just about radiating stuff into your life. So my wife and I were watching this, you know, in our house on the computer. It's back when we were young and we used to watch things. And uh, people ask me sometimes if I watch movies and stuff. I'm like, show me two free hours and I'll let you know if I watch movies. But, like, I don't remember the last time I had two free hours. So, now, I've tried it on airplanes, but I fall asleep during the first scene. So I'm, I'm like a little baby in the back of a car when I tr- travel on airplanes. 
which is really not good because you know you could wind up arriving at night from a 12-hour flight and you just slept 12 hours and so now you're totally off for like a week straight so anyway the um why am i talking about airplanes right now oh we watched the secret so i tell my wife i tell my wife that i am right now radiating 14,000 shekels cash and the next day, I'm studying with my Chavrusa and Aisha Torah, and we're learning together. And I start giggling. He's like, what's so funny? And I said to him, he didn't know what radiating money was, but I said, when you're, if you're going to radiate 14,000 shekels cash, don't go to a yeshiva to study. <laughs> like, find somewhere else to go that maybe give God a chance, man. Give God a chance to bring you the miracle, you know. But you don't just, like, go sit and learn Gemara all morning. Because <laughs> the bank's going to close at four, you know, or whatever is going to close at two that day. I, I don't know what's with Israeli bank hours. I mean, it's like that's got to be a cush job, man. <laughs> Weird hours, right? What the hell, man? A bank closes at two or one, and it's different each day, you know. So, anyway, so I started giggling, and he, I explained to him what radiating was. Meanwhile, this guy's tapped me on the shoulder. This guy who sits behind me forever. So I, I said, what, What's up? He says, this morning I wake up and I realized that you had counseled my father like half a year ago and he left me a check for you. Very wealthy father. He left me a check for you. I put it in my dormitory drawer and just this morning I was like, I woke up and I was like, don't I have a check for Rabbi Glazer? And he hands me the check. It wasn't 14,000 shekels, man, but it was a lot. And the rest of the day just kept going like that until I was holding 14,000 shekels cash. So I go to the class. I teach in this class. I got this big blonde guy who's like on his way out, as you know. And, and at the end of the class, I'm like, I, re- I forgot about the bank manager. I totally forgot about the guy, which is par for the course for me. So I can't remember this guy and the, that I got to go to the bank. But I remember at the end of class, I'm like, oh, man, how am I going to do this? Because I had to teach another class. And then the bank was closing on the hour that class ended. I had to go to the other building and teach a shir. So I look around the classroom, and I'm like, everyone's Jewish. They're all here to learn. I can't take anyone. And then I see the guy in the back of the class. Sorry, is this essentials? I see the Gentile in the back of the class. And I'm like, excuse me, can we speak after class? And he's like, no problem. So I, I take this guy aside outside, right in the lobby here, and I'm just like, listen, this is 14,000 shekels cash. Just keep it in the envelope. Take it to King George Street to Bank of Poalim. There's a spot right there for you in the corner. Take it to Bank of Poalim. Here's my account number. I wrote my account number in the envelope. I wrote my name down. And I sent him, sent him off to the bank. I went and teach my share. I never thought about it again. I figured as long as my bank manager didn't call me, everything's good. And I never heard back from the bank manager. So... 10 years later, 14, I don't know how many years later, I'm on this date with my wife and this blonde chassid pulls me aside to tell me the story that he was walking to the bank with 14,000 shekels cash. The person who handed it to him doesn't even know who he is. All he knows is that he's been trusted by this rabbi. And from there, he rebuilt his life. And he had his God experience. Shalom, everyone. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.